Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. The first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. I'm your host, Nick Williams, and this week's show is brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Are you frustrated by your typical hunting and fishing magazines? Are you tired of reading content meant for guys up north or in the Midwest? Don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't hunt and fish in your home state. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors magazine subscription and become a better southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors magazine can be found at your local Books A Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to another week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report. Uh, we got a good lineup of guests today. First up, we've got down here on the Mobile Tensaw Delta in the Mobile Bay area, we got Peter Jordan with the Lost Angler Fly Shop. Peter, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Nick. Thank you so much for having me on today. Absolutely. It's always good to talk to you. And uh, I know I know we got a lot of changes going on right now. We've had a drought year, which means that the bay and the delta is real dry. Uh, we did get a little bit of rain, and then I know uh, you probably, like me, you woke up this morning and, and wondered if somebody had moved your house, you know, about 200 miles north of here. It was a little bit brisk this morning. Oh, so uh, it felt it felt good there. It, it felt good. I, any Anything under 50 that gets the mosquitoes off of me, I'll take it, so. Yeah, I always like to think now that gives me only a 40% chance of being snake bit every time I go in the woods. That's it. That's it. I can tell you from experience, they don't ever go away, but they sure slow down once it drops down to about 30 degrees. Slow down. So yeah, the only thing see, is they they're not moving out of your way. If you go to hop on a stump with them crossing the swamp, they're not getting off that stump. Y'all just going to have to share it. So Yeah, they're committed. <laughs> they're committed. They're, uh, they're in it to win it at that point. They ain't going nowhere, so you're right. That- that's it. But, uh, well, what's hot? What's hot down there on the causeway right now? What y'all up to? Well, you know the causeway's been pretty good. We've had that vegetation die off, so if you get to the lower end of the causeway, uh, you can start to really search out, you know, redfish on some of those flats. Uh, earlier in the fall, we had more beneficial tides that let you access more of those flats, uh, which is great. Let you kind of chase those redfish down. Uh, right now, you kind of gotta, you know, pick and choose. Just be careful. Don't get yourself grounded. I think I've told you a story how April and I took the Ginu out a couple, about a year or so ago, and we had a north wind pick up on a falling tide, and we were stuck for about an hour and some change until that water started to come on back in. It'll uh, happen that with was, quickness, uh, yeah. With a quickness, so just kind of got to be careful. I, no, I think the big thing right now is, is um, you know, further up the delta. We're still in the lower delta, and for folks that don't know, we consider the lower delta below I-65. And that's kind of that lower delta, and then you have the causeway, which is below uh, below I-10, which is kind of what you want to look at. And you and I were talking before we started about, you know, needing different fishing licenses, depending on, you know, where you're at. And I would say the best rule of thumb is down here, if you're fishing, get both. Get a fresh and salt. You're not going to regret it because, you know, they uh, it's, it's very easy to be below I-10 and catch a largemouth. And uh, it's very easy right now to be, uh, you know, like you were talking about, all the way up to Stockton, uh, throwing a crab trap out. So these fish and these critters, they just, they don't do very good at paying attention to uh, lines on the map. So I definitely have both. But what's going on right now more than anything else is, is we've got fish staging up on all the points uh, at every place that we've got our rivers coming in. It's not a sight fishing affair. And for a lot of us in saltwater fly fishing, that's kind of a bummer which I get that. We always want to, if we can throw 
you know, fly out a fish that we can see, then it's a whole lot more fun. But don't pass up on that opportunity because there are a lot of big specks stacking up right now on the point. Uh, there's a lot of redfish that are down there too. And the best thing you can do is, is to get comfortable throwing sinking lines. And so you've got your sinking lines, you're going to start with an intermediate. Uh, they're going to drop about one and a half, one to, depending on salt water, between one inch to about two inches per second. Uh, then you're going to go to a sink three in fresh water that drops three inches per second. And depending on salinity, it changes how fast it drops. And then you go down to a sink six and a sink nine. And you just kind of look at that as, you know, how fast are these lines going to drop in fresh water? So when you're in a kind of a more, you know, brackish area, you know, uh, you can still kind of guess that it's going to be roughly the same. Even though it may not be exactly the same, it's going to be close enough for uh, for government work, as it were. But, you know, like you and I were talking about before we got on, when we're, we kind of get in this headspace when we're fly fishing that we need to stay on top, uh, do the top water, enjoy that. And that's just not really the greatest thing to do, uh, depending on where you're at in the time of year, because what we're dealing with, uh, if we were to be conventional fishing for these trout, for these redfish, and by the way, all these fish are mixed in with bass and crappie, they, you know, in the upper, upper, lower and mid delta, they're, they're all in the same same group and would you would you agree with that nick I, I would yeah for sure so and when we're fishing for any of these species if you're using conventional tackle you're probably going to be using crane baits you're probably going to be using suspended jerk baits you're probably going to be bouncing jigs on the bottom and with sinking fly lines it lets us do that it lets us get down to it uh, i had a customer in my store just a minute ago and we were talking about that and i was like what i like to do is grab a sink six line and then i want to go up river up current and i want to cast my line out up river of where I need it to go to. But what I'm doing is I'm coming up on my trolling motor, stopping my trolling motor, and then as I start to drift back, that's when I make my cast. So that by the time I get to that place that I know the fish are, that's when my fly has gotten down into that strike zone. And having that suspend, having that sinking line will let me stay in that strike zone. So just remember when you strip that line in, it comes up to the surface. When you stop it, it drops back down. And so that lets you kind of kind of keep in mind of what you're what you're dealing with. And there's a ton of amazing patterns that are going to let you fish however you want to. Uh, a lot of the articulated patterns for us are going to look a lot like finger mullet, starfish down here. And we've got some broad bait flies too. So just kind of be mindful. Look at what you're seeing in the water. Pay attention to your sonar and your graph. And look at where you're seeing the fish descending at. Mark that depth. So if I'm using the sink six and I'm seeing schools, of bait sitting at 10 feet. I'm going to go up river a spell. I mean, I'm not talking about going far, just as far as you need to, to get to that count. So let's say it's 10 feet down. I'm going to need to count to 20. So once my boat gets to uh, up a little ways and I cast out, I want to be about, I want to be right about where that school was when I get to 20 so that I can start to strip it in. So you're not going up a tremendous distance and you get a feel for it uh, as you do it. And uh, the reason we want to let that boat drift out at the same speed as the current is because otherwise, if your boat's sitting on like, a, let's say you're using spot lock on your trolling motor, the current is sweeping it away and you're never going to hit that depth that you're going for. Right. So that's what we want to do. This is the time of year if you want to have that variety of species, uh, especially in our rivers, and that's what you want to do. And it's the same kind of stuff that we would look at if we're on a large lake and impoundment this time of year. If I'm fishing for largemouth. Uh, let's say I went up. Let's say I rolled up to Miller's Ferry. I'm gonna do the same thing, guys. I'm gonna be looking 
towards deep spots, access to deep water, but I want to be at creek mouths, I want to be on points, and that's really what I'm looking for. Uh, these fish are going to start to key in, I would say, I would say finger mullet are going to start really moving up north here directly, and we're already starting to get some of those menhaden in down here. And so for us, that's the same as our river guys in central Alabama, north Alabama have for a shad run. It's the same thing. And so having those uh, sinking lines makes a big difference. And your same fly rod that you've been using works great. Just grab a spare spool, put a sinking line on it, and give it a go. Uh, the big problem I see with folks trying to learn how to use sinking lines is they try to use that same nine-foot leader, and it just doesn't work. You want to drop down to a three- or four-foot leader, and you don't even have to do a tapered leader at that point. If you want to fish straight 16, fish straight 16 because it doesn't matter. We're just dropping it down. That's actually pretty useful information to know that you can just so you can tie just a, a, a short straight leader. That doesn't uh, – you don't ever run into issues with – I know, I know there's a lot of guys that get really hung up on like line visibility and stuff like that when they're fishing. And I know fly line is not, a uh, not exactly subtle, uh, down there under the water, but I'm guessing that that hasn't impacted your success any. Well, when you're looking at these sinking lines, they're going to be either black or brown or a tan. So they're going to kind of melt into that. Uh, some companies like Cortland, they make, uh, camouflage lines, which are really cool. SA does the same thing. Um, in general, like if we're throwing roll wolf lines, they're going to be black. Uh, and everybody makes a pretty decent sinking fly line. What we're looking at this year, right now, this time of year, is the transitioning for us on the coast from a tropical line, like we would normally use during the rest of the year, to a cold water line. So, like, one of my favorite series of lines that I carry here at the shop is the Cortland Streamer series. And I absolutely love this. They've got a, a Cortland float, uh, and you're just floating on top. You can deliver that big fly. So, as the day warms up, Let's say I want to move into uh, some of the lakes in the Delta. As that day warms up, those fish move into that shallow water. They're feeding. Right now that we finally hit that cold, fish are really starting to eat. They are not messing around. They know it's about to get cold, and they're about to start really chowing down. And we haven't had that big flush of rain that we'll get later on in the winter that blows everything out. So our fish are really chewing right now. So whether you're bass fishing uh, or, you know, trying to get that mix of salt water Flash freshwater. Uh, this is a really great time to do that, and having that ability to have, and this is what I'm talking about in that in that Cortland series is in that series they've got a sink three. Uh, well, my favorite one is the uh, sink tip ten three, and what that is the first ten feet of the line sink at three inches per second, and that casts almost just like a floating line. And what that's going to make me effective in is in that three to six foot depth range. That makes me really effective there. Uh, once I need to get down below six feet, then I go uh, to the streamer dredge series. Uh, it's the first 25 feet of that line is dropping six inches per second. Uh, and that's going to make me effective six all the way down to, honestly, I kind of, after about 20, it gets kind of tough. Uh, then you need to switch over to a sink nine. Uh, and then I, I would say personally, I feel like I'm pretty limited out at around 35 feet. But just think about that for a second. Uh, now you've got a fly rod that I can fish 35 feet down potentially. And in the delta, where most of it is in that 10 to 20 foot range, you know, now I can throw a sink six and cover a ton of it. And it lets me take a neutrally buoyant fly and strip it in, and it gives me that suspending jerk bait. I mean, guys, come on. Every time you turn on the saltwater fishing podcast through Great Days Outdoors, it's hundred uh, percent. We're gonna we're gonna use a slick lure today, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and, and it works, man, because it's got that suspended jerk bait. Gets down there, it's got that great side to side action. Well, guess what, guys? We can do the same thing 
with a fly rod by using a bunch of wonderful flies like deceivers or game changers or tons of other articulated patterns. And it gives us that great side-to-side -side motion. And by changing out the different fly lines, we can really hone in on the depth we want to stay at. And that lets us stay in that fish's strike zone longer and makes us more effective. That's definitely interesting to hear. And I'll definitely be, uh, be picking up some sinking lines because I know, you know, for, for me, the thing that drew me to fly fishing in the first place was that topwater blow up. Because in my mind, you know, it's like, it's like shooting ducks cupped up over decoys, right? Like catching a fish on topwater. It's like, well, I'm definitely going to try that thing first because when it works, it's a whole lot of fun. Uh, but sometimes you get a pass shoot and sometimes fish just aren't in a topwater mood. And uh, you, you're right. Like the top is a, a very small percentage of the water column to, to cover. And I know I catch most of my fish. Uh, if I'm not fly fishing, I that's I hardly ever, you know, outside of the first 30 minutes to an hour in the morning, like I hardly ever default to top water, right? Doesn't make any sense that you would do that fly fishing. You're gonna you're gonna catch more fish subsurface. Yeah, 100. percent So look at what you're fishing at and think to myself, okay, if I want to fish effectively for the first three feet of the water column, uh, top uh, floating line is great. And what I really, you know, people that know me know for a fact that I'm a streamer junkie. Uh, because uh, just being bluntly honest, you're going to catch bigger fish on streamers because it's a bigger profile. You're going to weed out some of the smaller guys. And I know we're always going to hear people going, well, I, all I ever fish is topwater, and I've caught my biggest fish on topwater. Well, if that's what you're doing the most of, then of course you're going to catch your biggest fish. Now, am I saying without a doubt you will always catch bigger fish on a streamer than you will a topwater? No, of course not. I mean, there's, it just depends on what the fish are into. But having the ability to effectively cover the entire water column is a game changer. I mean, it's just like when you're bass fishing, when you start learning how to use your electronics and you move from just the straight beating the bank. I'm only throwing the cover that I can see. Or like when you, when you come from, when you move from, you know, only thing you've got is a, a, a beetle spin and a June bug worm. Don't get me wrong. A bedrillion and 10 fish have been caught on a beetle spinning a June bug worm. But once you start moving away from that and you start expanding what you're doing and you start learning how to fish cover that's not completely obvious to everybody else, finding new locations, it makes a tremendous difference in your success. I like it. And that's what the same thing, yeah, the same thing we need to do for our fly fishing is realize, hey, we don't have to be stuck in this one way of fishing. I, I would definitely, you, you've convinced me, I'll definitely be picking one up and I, I know where to get one. Jordan, tell all of our listeners if they're looking at picking up a sinking line to try some of that uh, Mobile Tensaw Delta Causeway fishing, uh, where's a good place to reach at, brother? Yeah, just swing on by the shop. I'm at 2007 U.S. Highway 98 in Daphne. And I just want to kind of remind everybody, yeah, this is great for the causeway, but any river and lake in Alabama right now, having that ability to fish that surface, you know, surface all the way down to the bottom is huge, guys. So don't think you just... This isn't just a saltwater technique. This is a thing that you can enjoy. If you're on Lake Martin, it works phenomenally. If you're on Lay uh, Lake, it works phenomenally. If you're fishing Gunnersville, it works phenomenally. If you're on Ufala, it works amazingly. So we're just we're doing the same things that you would anywhere else. All you're wanting to do is just try to get down in that water column, fish more deeply, uh, and effectively work that line. And just remember that rule of thumb. For the first three feet of water, floating line is phenomenal. It will do just fine. And you can get down lower if you want to, if you're patient, but floating line is great. And also to remember, if you're, whether you're choosing floating line or sinking line, is going to dictate your action of your fly. 
So if you want that jigging action where it pulls up and then jerks back down, a floating line is going to give you that jigging action with like a, a clouser. And there's a ton of places where that's exactly what a fish want. They want that up and down jigging action. Uh, whereas if I want that side to side suspending jerk bait style, then I need to get that sinking line because now the line is just pulling straight in a line. Yeah, you are coming up to the boat eventually, but in general, when you're in that strike zone, it's going to be straight. And so just remember, you know, three to six feet effectively, like really effectively, you really want to look at that uh, three inch sink three type that drops three inches a second and six feet down to 12 feet. Look at that six inch down past 12 feet. Uh, you want to look at um, maybe a sink nine, but you can definitely go deeper uh, if you're patient and you plan what you're doing with a sink six. And just remember too, when you're casting your sinking lines, it's coming down, not in a straight line. Uh, even if you're using uh, some of the really cool lines from SA that we have that have different gradients to help it sink more level. But what you also remember is, uh, you know, you're at one end of that and it's coming down. So you're at the top and it, it can only go so far down. So also keep, you know, just kind of keep those things in mind. If I want to get down, remember it's coming down at an angle. So you want to cast further than where you think it needs to be. So it gets down to where you want it. Uh, another thing that I recommend for people that are throwing sinking lines, yeah, you can go straight 20 on there, but as soon as you hang up a fly on the bottom, which you will, you'll be there all day trying to get that sucker off. So I personally, this is me, I like to put a piece of, say, like 15 or 12-pound test in my leader. So I might build it as a foot of 25, a foot of 20, and a foot of 16. Uh, and that's my three-foot leader. And that way I've got that 16 is pretty stout. I can get most fish out of cover. But if I get hung up, I can point that rod directly at it and break that 16 piece off. And I'm not losing, you know, fly line. Or for the love of God, people, don't shove your fly rod down into the into the structure and try to wiggle that fly off. It ain't worth it. That's how you break tip. <laughs> oh, goodness. Just don't so now, do it. Now, now you're cutting close with your preaching, brother. I've, I've been guilty of that a time or two. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'll have I have to go and repent of my ways, but uh, Jordan, I always enjoy having you on the podcast. I appreciate you being here today. And guys, y'all be sure oh, y'all love uh, fly fishing down here on the coast. Y'all go check out Peter over at the Lost Angler Fly Shop. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. Since 1989, Southeastern Pond Management has been a leader in pond and lake management services. If you own a pond or lake anywhere in the southeast. Southeastern Pond Management can evaluate the health of your pond and then work with you individually to put together the right plan to get what you want out of your body of water. Through electrofishing, liming, fertilizing, and stocking and weed control, Southeastern Pond Management is the one-stop shop to help you produce more healthy trophy fish than ever before. Schedule an obligation-free consultation today. Call 1-888-830-POND or email info at southeastpond.com. All right, guys, welcome back for our next guest. We've got Steve Graziano out on Lake Eufaula. Steve, how you doing today? Or Graz, I should say. I know everybody calls you Graz. <laughs> yeah, well, my wife calls me something else, but that's another story. But anyway. <laughs> all, all the married guys got names that they don't, uh, they hope that they don't have to ever hear from nobody but their wife. <laughs> but um, no, I'm doing good. I'm Glad, glad you uh having me, Nick. Absolutely. We always enjoy having you on the show. We was talking a little bit off air about how the water's changing up there on Lake Eufaula. Kind of uh, walk me through that a little bit. I know it's changing throughout the state with winter coming on. Yeah, I mean, uh, lately, just recently, we've got some really cool weather. The water temperature 
is dropping. And so, you know, and, and it affects, it affects the bait and they're moving around. And some of these places that we caught them on two weeks ago, you can't, I mean, the fish are not there anymore. And so it's, it's changing. You got to keep up with it this time of year. Today, the water temperature we started out was like 50. I want to say it was like 56, maybe might even touch 55, but, and then, uh, but a week ago, you know, we had highs that were up in the 60, 63. So, uh, these fish, I think temperature change makes them, makes them change pretty quick. What do you usually notice as far as what changes? Like, does it change the depth of thread or the type of structure that they're on or how they react to a lure coming by them? What, what specifically changes? Well, uh, right, right. This time of year, it's, it's all about the bait. You really need to be around bait. So if in, uh, we've talked about it before, I use side scan uh, for sure, you know, to shoot out the side of the boat and so forth. And, of course, I use regular uh, a down scan as well. Then I have 360, but I'm I'm looking for bait because uh, you know if you if if you don't have the bait that the fish just not going to be there because they got to eat. So so what's happening now is the fish are really transitioning from some of these deeper places, and uh, they are trying to move into to some of your creeks, mouse creeks and stuff like that more so than they did you know last time we talked, but. Uh, and I think the lake is turning over also since the change in the water temperature. And the uh, we've had a little rain here lately, and it's kind of colored up the water a little bit. So that could make them go shallow, you know, if the water gets a little dirtier. Some of the creeks are maybe on the muddy side, actually, now. Talk to me a little bit more about lake turnover, because I know that's a term that I've heard thrown around, and I've, I've never really, I guess, been able to wrap my head around exactly what that is when people refer to turnover. Yeah, and it happens uh, differently. It, most times it happens, you know, in the fall, and it's been a, a later turnover this year because we just had a kind of a warm fall and early winter here and it just it hadn't turned over as quick as it usually would and so you can really tell the the water color gets a little you can tell by the water color but it's really the temperature and where the fish uh set up it's the thermocline kind of switches from maybe 20 foot and then it switches in, in that, that's what happens uh, with your top water bite. It can help the top water bite when when it does turn over, and uh, it can it can help a shallow bite as well. But um, you know, most lakes, well, all lakes are going to turn over, but based on you know the temperature thermocline type thing. There's a there's a, a a footage that on your reservoirs that the fish there's no oxygen. And so it, it basically, they call it turnover when it kind of flip-flops and it has to do with the weather and then the, uh, uh, causing it to do that. So it happens this time of year and sometimes earlier on other other impoundments. That's interesting. So that it basically, it just kind of kind of have that, I guess, that low oxygen water, just like you said, just kind of flipping, coming up to the top and it just kind of kind of moves fish around a little. That's right. The bait can't survive. And then the uh, bass and the predator fish, well, they can't survive. They've got to get either above it or below it. And then when it flip-flops, it just changes where the fish uh, move to. So this time of year, it's a, it's a moving type thing. I mean, you got to really stay with them. 
you can't you can't just go out there and think that oh i'm gonna catch him like i did two three weeks ago because it, it'll change on you for sure tell me a little bit we were talking earlier about throwing a you, you were saying that lipless crankbaits were real hot right now have you got a particular lipless crankbait that you like to throw yeah i mean I, the thing with the lipless is each of them have a different fall rate okay and that's the thing you can take a red eye shad for example by strike king and then you've got um, Berkeley War Pig is a real good one. There's others out there. The Quake is a good one. Yozuri makes a real good lipless. And each of them have a different fall rate. In other words, if you're doing the yo-yo presentation, then some of them will fall faster. Some of them fall slower. And some of them have a shimmy when they fall. So you can take a lipless and fish it in 20 foot of water if you wanted to you just have to wait on it to get there and then work it but it, it really shines in your shallower and mid depths five to ten fifteen foot it, it just depends and each one of them you you got to know which one of them to throw to uh it whatever situation that you're in in other words if you want to go shallow and one of them each of them have a different fall rate and i've got probably four five six different ones that i like to throw in certain circumstances or where I'm at. But, you know, that's not the only bait that they're hitting now. The jig bite has gotten really good lately. I mean, I've been catching some good fish on a jig, and I think I told you uh, before we got on air, you know, I've caught some big fish on on top water a week or so ago. It was really good, some really good fish, and catching those in really, you know, two, three foot of water. So, I mean, that's going on right now. Drop shot. That's a, a real good presentation right now. You know, the fish are on the hard spot still, but the, uh, some of the places that they were on, they're not there anymore because the bait is gone. You know, the fish are going to be moving around. And there's a shallow there's a shallow water bite if you get in the right place. The water has come up lately. Uh, we've seen a, in the last week and a half, the water's come up about a foot. So that that has made the shallower, the shallow bite come on strong a little bit but they are moving back into the creeks you know is is what i'm seeing i'm I'm beside track you for a little bit there so so talking about the shallow water bite i know a lot of people you know think think colder weather you know fish go deeper to get to water with more stable stable temperatures what in your mind what's something to look for if you're looking for a shallow water bite are you looking for places like in the afternoon where the sun starts to warm water up or is there anything particular that you look for to find an area that that's shallow and has active fish in the wintertime what i have always done and it's not necessarily this time of year but i like to fish shallow flats or shallow ditches next to deeper water uh seems to be Better quality fish are usually, but not always, but usually closer to the deeper water. In other words, your first shallow water that they come up to, say, for example, if you're out there on the river and uh, there's a, a hard spot, a shell bed or something, you know, on, on the actual flat or the ledge that the fish will actually use as a dinner table they'll actually cheap dog the bait if the bait's there and cheap dog up on, on those places and uh that can be real good if you're up back in uh, creeks or whatever ditches can be real good this time of year or drain 
some people call them drains or the actual ditch uh, can be. The fish will get in the ditches, the ones that are moving in. And then you've, then you've got some resident fish that won't ever move shallow. They'll stay out deep. I mean, because this time of year, you can catch them deep and you can catch them shallow, which especially if the water's coming up like it's doing. Everything's changing right now. It's definitely it's that time of year in Alabama where you got to check the night before you go to bed to see if you need to wear your shorts or uh, or put your thermals on the next day. It could be 30 degrees or it could be 80 degrees. I can see how that would shake the fishing up. Making that joke about shorts, I know you was telling me earlier that you're usually a shirt guy, or a shorts guy, but this morning, uh, obviously, it was a little bit chilly throughout most of the state <laughs> for that. What's your best tips for, for staying warm? We're actually doing an article coming up. Uh, we're going to be talking some about like cold weather fishing gear, rainy gear, kind of gear to kind of keep you protected in more, uh, you know, inclement weather. Uh, you got any good tips for staying warm when you're hauling across the lake? Yeah, I can. Uh, well, I don't even know if I should bring this up, but I had an incident years ago on this lake, and I think it was in February of memory serves me correctly and i'm going to just throw this out there but it happened to me i actually was wearing a uh, walls they used i think it was made by walls it was a basically a snowsuit type thing i mean it was in february it was cold and it was in the teens or right at freezing or whatever and i was wearing a beanie i had some boots on and everything and i was I was 20 yards probably when I fell in. I'm, I'm talking about falling in the cold water. I was 20 yards from basically where I could get up on land. But when I fell in, you know, and I could swim, but this particular snowsuit started filling up with water and my beanie and everything. And when I fell in, I freaked out, basically. And that's not what you want to do if you fall in, but. I couldn't get my head up above the water. And uh, I had a, a guy in the boat with me. If it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now. But anyway, I had a rod in my hand, and that's what really saved me. And uh, I was actually fixing to drown. I mean, that's what was going on. And it was all because I was wearing too much clothing. Okay. Uh, it, this was way before all this thermal stuff came out. I think you had thermal underwear, maybe, and stuff like that. But back then, you would wear, you know, some, because you wanted to be warm and everything. So my advice to people would not to be, to wear too much. You know what I mean? Because if you do fall in, it could be, it could be, you know, and the, one of the things I learned was that, not to wear, you know, a whole bunch of clothes. Because just because you can swim, don't mean that you can get your head above the water, you know what I mean, if you fall in, I guess is what I'm saying. And I think there's folks out there listening right now that have probably been in that situation. But um, it, it uh, matter of fact, I, I actually, what I did was I got in contact. I, I felt like I needed to let people know what had happened to me. And I got in contact with the uh, Columbus Ledger uh, newspaper, the sports writer who I think is with uh, MLF now, Brian Brasher is his name. And I contacted him and told him what had happened to me. And he he, he did a uh, post, you know, on the newspaper about it because I was trying to help folks out what had happened to me. And it took me a little while to get over that. It's definitely scary as a duck hunter. I've uh, 
I've stepped off into some deep holes wading before, and, and when that cold water water hits you, and uh, I've only had one time where I went in over my head, but it, it will definitely freak you out. And even if you are a strong swimmer, which I consider myself a fairly strong swimmer, it will uh, – it's it's funny, like you said, all of a sudden you'll forget all your common sense, everything that you know in the summertime you'll forget. And uh Right. I'm always really, really careful about that kill switch and that life jacket in the winter. Well that now that's there's another thing that you just brought up. I, I have to tell you that is you need to have that kill switch on. Uh, I'm just telling you because you never know what might be floating out there. You may hit something, whatever. I mean, you can't be too safe this time of year or any any time, really, but uh, cold weather. All I had to do when I fell in was go just swim forward, you know, to the land, and I didn't do it. I was just trying to get my head up so I could breathe, and right. that's where I went. You know, I, I just was incoherent. I wasn't thinking straight because it, it caught me by surprise, but I'm glad that I shared that, you know, with, with Brian and the newspaper, and, and I'm kind of glad I'm bringing it up now. You know, was, the point is not to wear too much, but they've got so much stuff out now that you don't even have to beef up like I did that day. You know, I mean, they've got stuff you can buy that's really good and you don't and you can cast and and do everything. Uh, it's amazing what what's out there on the market now. For sure. Yeah, that's that's something that, that in my short life, I have watched hunting clothing go from basically uh, just layering up you know, wearing 17 layers of cotton sweaters uh, to, to some really impressive beer hitting the market. <laughs> yeah, I can remember those days wearing everything I had in the closet and still being cold. <laughs> no, I, I, I've been there. I mean, I, I'm not saying underdress, but, you know, you don't, you can always take clothes off too, if you, you know what I mean? It's just, uh, but if you ain't got enough, that ain't good either. You know what I'm saying? For sure. Now, this time of year is just not a good time to, fall in the lake accidentally or whatever it's just tough and uh we saw an alligator today and i told told the guy that was with me i said you know i've never seen an alligator out this early this cold because it was freezing it was 32 or 33 or something like that maybe 34 but i've never seen an alligator you know and that was a I was going, that's, that must be wrong with that alligator. We need to have him checked, you know. Yeah, down here, that's actually about the best time to see big ones is if you get a cold snap. If it gets cold and stays cold, yeah, it'll drive them off. But if you just have a cold night come up quick like this one did, this one, it dropped pretty hard, pretty fast, and it caught them off guard, and they'll be there. Not in the morning. It's weird to see them in the morning, but by the afternoon, by 11 o'clock or so. Right, when it warms up a little bit. Yeah, this was in the morning. Yeah. This yeah, was in the, the morning. That's what I told I told uh, Lee. I said, Lee, this, this is weird. You know what I mean? So He was, he was probably trying to catch some first rays of sunshine because down here, that's the best time of the year to look at a big one is, uh, is in the winter after a cold day. If it warms up that afternoon, they'll all be lined out on the mud banks trying to soak up that sun and warm back up. Yeah, we've never had an accident down here, you know, ever since the lake was was backed up in 63 and uh, never had an alligator accident. And one of the reasons, I think, is because this when they backed this lake up, they set it up for a federal wildlife refuge. So, and, it, and it's a big part of really Lake Point and, and north to uh, Florence Marina is where it ends on both sides of the lake. And 
So you can't really hunt down here. I mean, they will let you hunt, but you've got to get permission and all, but you can't, you know, just come down here and start hunting and all that kind of stuff. So you've got all this food source that they can eat, these alligators and stuff. And, you know, they I've seen two alligators on this lake that have had deer and they were holding on to it, you know, because if they'll, they'll get a deer at night and they'll roll and drown them and they'll, they'll hold on to it for about two or three days before they try to eat it. I've seen them do that. And then I've seen them, I've seen some hogs that they've actually killed and, uh, they'll be, they'll watch it, you know, and stay around it, but they can't really pull it underneath the water because it's got so much air in it. So we saw one uh, earlier this year that I was with, and I told him, I said, you know, there's got to be an alligator. There's no reason why that hog is dead. You know, you could look at the the hoofs of it, and you could see where the hair was gone. It looks like, you know, it's just, it was all white. And then sure enough, there's a 10-foot alligator that comes swimming out, you know, when we got close to it. So, so anyway. <laughs> That's pretty cool that uh that you see them do that. I I always regret I had a place I had to be, and I didn't watch it play out. But I was out in a kayak one day fishing, and uh, I watched the alligator going back and forth at the edge of some grass down here in our river swamp. And I got closer up on them, and I could hear hogs in in the grass rooting around in the in the wet mud. And uh, he was following them. They'd move one way, he'd move with them, and they'd move back the other. And he just he stayed right there on the edge of that grass, and he was just waiting for one to get close enough that he could make a pass at him. And uh, I still I still wonder. I think about that some days. I'll be fishing and looking up at the grass, and I'll be like, man, I wonder if he got him one that day. So, <laughs> guys, I always enjoy having you on here. Always just a wealth of information and, and a good conversationalist. And I look forward to our to our talks if folks want to book a trip with you where's a good place to uh, reach out to you you know they get me Graz's guide service on my website or you can do facebook i'm on facebook my phone number you give me a call at 706-593-4192 you know right now is a good time it's a good time to really go fishing uh you may have to wrap up a little bit to get warm but the fish the fish they're going to eat and, and the bite is really good right now. And you're subject to catch a big fish. That's the next three, four months are going to be big fish time. Well, there we go, guys. If y'all want to go out with Grise and he'll put y'all on some big ones, y'all go look him out. And uh, Grise, as always, I appreciate your time, sir. Nick, I appreciate it now. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by L&M Marine. L&M Marine has something for everyone, from small hunting boats to pontoon boats, to bigger bay boat and offshore hybrids. L&M Marine LLC prides itself on its customer service and knows how important it is to be taken care of and to have someone you can trust. They are locally owned and regularly support the surrounding community. L&M Marine provides superior customer service and has an entire team that consists of professional sales members, finance experts, service technicians, and a knowledgeable parts and accessories staff to fully support you. Go visit their friendly, reliable, and experienced staff today. L&M Marine is located six miles north of I-10 at 34600 Highway 59 in Stapleton, Alabama. You can also reach them by phone at 251-937-1380. Also brought to you by Killer Dock. I hadn't even realized how bad it was. I was cleaning fish on rotten wood, and after cleaning just a few fish, I was filthy, and I had a sudden burn. 
I tried wearing a hat, but it just couldn't keep me cool. And how is I supposed to clean fish without getting messy? Killer Dock brings the upgrade that not only will keep you cool and clean, it'll make being on your dock more enjoyable. Killer Dock combines durability, function, and design to uniquely upgrade your entire dock experience. Visit KillerDock.com to check out the greatest fish cleaning stations known to mankind. Alrighty, guys, we're back, and this time we got Andre Davis. Andre is a fly fisherman, uh, spends most of his time on the Black Warrior and the Cahaba systems, which we don't get too many reports from. So, uh, Andre, always good to have you on the show. Welcome back. How's the fishing up there? Well, tough. Depends on what you want to get into, but uh, it's definitely that time of year where you're going to have to change your tactics up a little bit. That that seems to be the name of the game with today's guests. Everybody seems to have the same message. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, down here you're not going to escape that very much uh, this time of year. You know, the last couple of days with these real, real hard cold snaps, we're seeing some 20s. Uh, you know, when that temperature gauge starts uh, leading out with a two, uh, you know, we think things are going to change a little bit with the fishing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you don't uh, every every time I see that, I always got to tap my display. I, I, I think, well, that's weird. That five is messed up on there. What's that about? Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, my, yeah, that five's turned around the wrong way. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Yeah, hey, this thing usually starts with a nine. I'm used to things starting with a 91, 92, 98, you know. That's, that's kind of more our speed here. You start with a two, I'm lost. Uh, <laughs> it's a little different for sure. I, I think, you know, the thing that I've noticed around here, I'm up here in Birmingham, you know, so I'm, you know, Kaba runs right through here. Uh, I run to Black Warrior a lot, uh, Mulberry Locust, you know, Kusa, uh, pretty easy run, depending on which part of it you want to hit from where I'm at. Um, you know, all the 280 corridor section of it. Um, you know, and I think the one of the big takeaways, depending on what uh, a fisherman around the area, uh, anywhere in the state really, but down here with these, going to get the same kind of weather, going to get the same kind of drought that we have right now, which everybody's getting that. You know, I've been talking to folks all the way up into Virginia, um, you know, and they're seeing the exact same thing up there, you know, all the way up to the New River. It's, it's affecting everything. Musky fishing slowing down or off to a slow start rather, you know, et cetera. But I think speaking of things, starting with the two, we're, we're going to get close to two inches of rain uh, by the end of this weekend, uh, depending on whose weather reports you believe. Um, but regardless, it'll be, it'll be somewhere in that, that, that range of things, which would be incredibly helpful. Get some more oxygen into the water, move some minerals around, let some bait fish swim, let some of these fish that have been stuck, especially in medium to small creeks, been stuck in a particular hole, give them a chance to move around a little bit. You know, and I think that'll breathe some real life into the system. You know, it'll even stir a lot of stuff up uh, for a lot of your still water. Uh, for those who are out kind of doing the normal fishing thing where you don't necessarily have a boat where you can get out um, and go get after it on the bigger lakes. If you're in your neighborhood ponds, your, your city park uh, ponds and lakes, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I know a lot of them are getting a little bit stagnant. We're seeing even, you know, sunfish and bluegill and that aren't eating as much, uh, which is pretty rare. You know, that's a that's a dependable go to. Uh, and even that's tough, right? So I think after this week, um, the weekend, you know, give it a couple of days for everything to settle, the particulate in the water and the sediment to kind of truly settle back down. And I think it's going to come a lot. Yeah, tell me a little bit more. I've I've done a lot of pond fishing, but truth be told, I usually put down a fishing pole and pick up a, a deer rifle or a duck gun come December. So I got to ask, how's the, how's the fishing in small neighborhood ponds once it gets cold? Is it one of them things, do, does them being shallower, and getting a little bit more sun, does that help keep them a little bit warmer? Or yep. is that, does that usually, yeah. those fish seem to be a little more active? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, uh, you know, what it's doing right now, in some ways, it's doing, it's patterning like the smaller creeks are. So, you know, a couple of big points of interest are, 
and you know, usually you want to avoid the, the bluebird sky in, in the high sun, you know, especially this time of year. Uh, that's what you're actually wanting. You're, that's going to be your goal. You're going to shoot for that bluebird sky and that high sun. Get some real temperature on that water. Uh, the darker uh, the creek bed, the darker the, the, the mud bed, the sediment that's in your creek, especially when you get around structure, it's a little bit higher in the water column where it can absorb that sun and get warmer. Um, all of these things, this is what you're going to want to have happen. So, you know, fishing between 11 a.m. and 4, you know, before the sun starts going back down again, uh, which what a bummer that is, huh? It's getting dark at 4, <laughs> starting to get dark around 4 nowadays. But um, that's when you're really going to want to be out there, especially in your smaller ponds, neighborhood ponds, city park ponds and lakes, that kind of thing. Hit those uh, shorelines. If it has a if it has a dam wall um, on one side of it where you're going to have a, a sharper drop, it's going to get deep quick. Um, you know, go and hit those. Uh, they are holding up in those uh, areas right now. If you like carp fishing, if you like catfishing, and you know you got some catfish in that thing, you know, especially once the sun does go down, don't be afraid to get out there as the sun is going down and it's getting dark if you're going to fish on the bottom and take you your favorite carp fly out there. Uh, get you. I've even been throwing a lot of uh, sand fleas, uh, saltwater flies. I've been throwing a lot of sand fleas and crabs um, in the ponds um in the shallow edge and i'm pulling in you know we've been able to get on some uh, i i have not been so lucky to get a carp but i know people who have had success doing that bringing in carp i still haven't caught a carp at all on the fly actually the mission of mine but they're telling me that that's good and then catfishing is good and just coming up you know conventional fishing my whole life i can attest to that uh with the catfishing when they start to come in into those shallows at night um you know you get around those full moons and stuff and they like to come in a bit so uh, but I mean, if you're going to do top water, uh, another common thread with small creeks, uh, if you're in those ponds like that, get you, a, a, I'm throwing right now, tans, um, olives, and blacks, um, matte, nothing shiny. Everything's a little bit spooky. Uh, you're going to get a lot of fish. You're going to see your fly or hear it hit the water, whichever happens first. Come up to it. They're going to sniff on it. If you're lucky, they'll take it, but probably not going to be that lucky right now. Uh, and they're going to follow it. So I've been doing, if you're fly fishing, one inch strips, or I'm sorry, one foot strips at a time pull it back a foot maybe two slow just just fast enough to make a wake of disturbance on the water um and then pause count to uh, my magic number is eight everyone has a different number you pick your number but i wouldn't do it less than five seconds let let that wake dissipate away from the fly and then pull it again and they're going to eat on one of those strips probably pretty close to being back underneath of the tip of your rod they're going to follow it for a little while you got to give them time to decide to eat uh, that's the name of the game right now and then that's that's also true if you're throwing on those small ponds or in the uh, medium to small, especially small, small creek, small mini meat whistles, uh, if you're in a little bit bigger pond, or if you know you have a ledge, drag it across the ledge parallel with it. Get it over that ledge and pull it across the ledge and do the same thing if you're throwing heavier flies and fishing a little bit deeper. Darker colors, more matte, little less splash has been seeming to do better. I'm getting plenty of attention with splash. I'm not getting good commitment. Um, your, your mileage may vary. I'm just, uh, I can speak for what's kind of happening around here right now. Um, and especially if you have a good deep pool, start casting from way back before you get to the pool, throw it just at the tail end of that joker, and then slowly move your way up, working the ledges as you go across the length of the pool, and then finally drag it to the center once you can reach the top end of it and pull it all the way across the length of it uh, so you don't spook stuff out. But even you want to slow jig that stuff across the bottom. Give them a chance to sniff at it. They'll eventually pick it up off the bottom. You'll feel that tension, strip set it, and you're good to go. Uh, but that's that's kind of the name of the game right now. There we go. Moving on from from your ponds and and your little creeks, and that's that's definitely something I need to do more of. I need to start throwing a uh, fly rod in the in the duck boat and and hitting it a little bit once I get through with my morning shoot. 
moving on to uh yep. to the big river up there and i know the Cobb and the black warrior aren't really what most people think of when they think big rivers um but you have <laughs> sure. any any luck up there on the main channels yeah you know most of the fish if they're not trapped in pools right now they they've taken the opportunities they get to move into the, the main stems right so um yeah you're going to have a lot better luck uh on the main stems if you can get into a boat kayak canoe if you have an inflatable raft whatever you got uh, I, you're going to have better luck doing that. Uh, a lot of the guys that we're talking to and I'm seeing in the forums both ways, you know, they're throwing, as we like to call it in fly fishing, they're throwing bigger meat, <laughs> big streamers, getting it out there, you know, and but the big fish are out to play. So if you can get out in the main stem and you can move around, I love the bigger rivers. I need a little bit more time, which means I need a little bit more permission from my wife uh, to go and set up the boat, put it out there, <laughs> shuttle back, you know, all this kind of thing. But if you can do it, um, I, I, you're going to get some of your bigger fish of the year right now are starting to really wake up and come out and play. And um, so it's, it's just a ton of fun. You know, bring your jacket, bring your, bring your hat, uh, your, your beanie to cover your head up. But uh, especially if you are a, a hair challenge like me. But uh, it, it really is producing some big fish out there right now. There's no doubt about that. And it's the same kind of thing. Throw it at structure. You're going to throw it at the bank and then drag it back. Um, you know, but r- risk your fly. You know, I mean, that's kind of always the case. If you're not risking your lures, flies, whatever it is you like, to, however it is you like to fish, uh, then you're not really fishing. And it's, that's more true now than usual. Um, get it down on the bottom. Throw it into that tree. I'm, when I say I'm throwing it at the bank, I mean the grass. I don't mean the water near the bank. I mean, I'm throwing it on the bank and then dragging it into the water. And um, that's where I'm really getting my commitment. You're, you're going to get a lot of chases. You're just not going to get a lot of commitment until you do start, start doing some of that stuff. Tell me a little bit, uh, we was talking a little bit off air. You were saying that you was uh, doing a little bit of uh, fishing floating in an inflatable raft. Is that something new that you've picked up, or did you have that last time we talked? I did. I had that last time. Really good friend of mine, Micah Pounds, actually uh, passed that down to me. I believe early this year. It might be coming around to a full year now, but I believe it was early this year. And um, I took that out west with me, hit all kinds of water out there, all the major trout rivers I could think of. That's kind of what you do out west. I had a great time with that thing. It's uh it's just a little Intex Mariner 4, and, uh, but it, it does really great around this stuff. You get in the shoals and you're dragging it over stuff, not so good. But that, those areas, those dicier areas, and with the slow water, they're, they're more dicey than ever. Uh, but those are where you really want to be. You know, Go ahead and, and shore that boat, get out, walk those shoals. Like I say, hit those drop-offs, hit those uh, the, the ledges. You know, throw, throw some fluoro tippet on. If you're throwing conventional, just fish fluoro. Um, you, you really want to be in that brush you really want to be on that ledge you want to be dragging the bottom your line's going to suffer a little bit you're going to tie re, you're going to retie on your fly and your lure more often than usual um, but that's going to catch you the fish you know as you abrade that line but that but that's what's going to catch you the fish we were talking a little bit with with Graz on our last segment talking about just kind of some some cold weather safety tips and i know i, I have not yet fly fished on one of those one of those days where the five was turned around backwards on the thermometer so <laughs> uh, I've I've been a, a fair weather summer child uh, out there wet weight in a pair of shorts and some flip flops. But talk talk to me a little bit. I know with with fly fishing, you know you're a lot more hands on with that fly line. Mm-hmm. And I know just setting decoys, duck hunting. I know that's that's something that gets to me real quick. Is when my hands get wet and they get cold, and I've got to do things with them. Right? You got to load shells. You got to blow calls. Like you start losing dexterity. Is that, is that an issue yeah. that you run into this time of the year, stripping fly line? Yep. Yeah. For, uh, you know, it's different for everybody, of course. But um, generally speaking, and definitely for myself, uh, I can definitely vouch for my experience. Yes, 
you know, and it's to your point, it's exactly what you said. It being cold outside is one thing. Once you get your hands wet, you can, you can be toast. That, that can seal the deal. So, I, you know, if you got waiters, obviously this is waiter time of year, but if you have waiters with uh, pockets in them, a lot of them will have kind of a little kangaroo pouch um, and it'll be salt line. Make sure you have that. Throw some hot hands in there with you. Next time you're at Walmart or Bass Pro, wherever, you know, go up to that little box, grab you several packs. You know, go ahead and pop that dude open when you're driving to go fish. So it's plenty warm when you get there. Put it in your waders. And then I put a little towel, a microfiber towel, uh, and I hang it from my pouch, uh, my pack. And um, that way, once I'm done handling, uh, the, whether it's the line, the fish, shaking out my net, whatever it is that got my hand wet, dry your hands off. And then take a moment to warm them up, even if they're not cold. Once you start feeling like they're cold and they start to tingle and you realize, oh, man, that, you know, that is really, really cold. It's, it's you're kind of a little bit too late. You're about, you're a little bit behind the eight ball on that. So get ahead of that and stop them from getting there. Wool gloves too. Um, a good wool mixed glove. Sims makes one that I like a lot. I've got big old basketball player hands despite being a short dude. And, um, but they make a really good half glove. I think it's a merino wool mix if I remember right. But that will help shed some of that away from you as well. Um, in that way, that, that line and everything you're handling, the majority of it, aside from your trigger finger on your cast stand, um, is, is protected. It's covered and doesn't get wet to begin with. That, that's a good tip. I wouldn't have thought about it, but I've got a pair of fingerless wool gloves that I like duck hunting. And uh, they do they do a real good job. Wool does a good job keeping you warm, even if you get it a little wet. So I'll have to, uh, when I make a trip, I'll go ahead and throw some of them in my in my bag. That's a good good tip. And I like... Uh, keeping something there to dry your hands i need i need to do better about that just in general it seems like uh i'm always out there underwater short of towel uh um, i do better when i fish with my wife she does a little bit better job making sure that we got a, a towel wipe your hands before you go digging in the snack cooler but uh, <laughs> that, that, that somehow slips yeah. my mind i'm always glad when she brings it i'm like that's ah, a good idea i need to bring that more often and then i guess old habits are hard to break i'll bail off on my own and uh uh, them them afternoon chips taste a little funny. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. You know, I'll say the same thing for your feet and, and even with waders on, you know, usually uh your even your thicker booties, if you got um, you know, the boot sock waders, they're gonna be three point five millimeter, some of them are four. Um, you know, the cheaper ones, um, which I also still wear com very commonly, but they're two point fives. It's just not enough, regardless. If you're going to be in moving water often, that moving water is going to strip that heat off you a whole lot more quickly uh, than walking around in still water. And, you know, the, the water being a static temperature is going to be colder anyway, uh, depending on how recently it got cold on you, because um, it'll hold on a cold snap like this. But if it's been this way in these temps, you know, for the last couple of weeks, uh, that moving water, nevertheless, is still going to be colder and make you colder faster. Um, so, you know, one of the other things I do, I got from biking, I like to cycle a lot. Um, but put, uh, half the time I'm real, real lazy, but it can work. Even just take a Walmart bag or something like that. A, a half of a neoprene glove, whatever you got that's handy, it's plastic. Put that up in the toe of your boot, then slide your boot foot waiter in there, slide your, your foot in there inside your waiters and make sure that you got a wool sock on and, uh, keeping that off of that, that cap of your boot, uh, that moving water off like that will stop your feet from getting so cold. Cause I don't know about everybody else listening, but usually it's my toes that feel the first. You know, my midfoot, my heel, all that. I don't don't usually get cold at the toe, especially in moving water. I'm I'm definitely the same way, and and usually my job is to host, is to receive the tips and not to give them out. But uh, I'll I'll share this one with you. I had a guy years ago who worked in in the walk-in freezer. You know, like you think it at your Winn Dixie, you got the meat meat shop back there, mm -hmm. and uh, yep. he worked back there all day, and he turned me on to a tip I've been using now for ten or twelve years, and he would go the night 
before he'd go into work, as he was settling in, getting ready for bed, he would apply deodorant to his feet. And, and oh, yeah. I started doing that years ago before I started going deer and duck hunting. I'd go, go to bed the night before and I would put on deodorant and put wool socks on. And it keeps your feet from sweating, you know, because especially yep. if you're in rubber boots, once your feet start to sweat, there's there's no coming back from that, really. <laughs> That's right. It, it makes a big difference. I, I would encourage everybody to give it a try. It feels a little funny. Uh, when, when you're sitting there putting deodorant on your feet, definitely don't do it in front of the family because you'll catch looks. They'll be like, "What is he doing? What's he doing now?" But uh, yeah, it 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 works. It it will. It, it won't work a whole day, but it will get you through a morning. If you get a morning right. duck hunt, you go be out there for a couple hours. It will keep your feet noticeably drier and a little bit warmer. Yeah, and that's a real good word. And you know, that's why where I say put the hot hands in your in your pouch somewhere, or, or if you if you don't have one of those in your waders, put it in uh, your pocket or your hoodie or whatever you might have where you can get your hands in it. Um, you know, at all times. But the reason why I don't, and everybody, I know some people who swear by putting those uh, type of things in their boots as well, and they make a kind just for doing that. In places, hiking, stuff like that, where your feet can breathe more easily, I, I, I'm, I'm all about that. Personally, I don't do that in waders in a closed system like that, in a, in a all the way airtight because you got air coming out the top of your waders. But in a pretty well closed system like that, I don't do that because exactly what you just said. Everybody's feet don't sweat the same, but you know if they get too warm like that, you start introducing moisture uh, into that waterproof booty, it's going to kind of stay there and you're, you're you're cooked. You know, at that point, you're going to get cold. Absolutely. Well, Andre, it's always a pleasure having you on the show, and uh, I need to get up there. I need to finish my, my catch a fish on a fly in every county trip. Uh, hopefully, maybe this yeah, spring we can get up and go fishing together. I'm going to uh, I'm gonna get back on that, but uh, always good to hear from you, and uh, appreciate your time today, sir. Thank you so much, man. I look forward to us getting on the water together. Absolutely. All righty, guys. Let's take a quick break to hear some of this week's sponsors. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Fish Bites. Whether you're hitting the sand with set rigs, using traditional scent strips for pompano, or fishing the flats and marshes for speckled trout, redfish, and flounder, Fish Bites has something for you. Family owned and operated in St. Augustine, Florida, they pride themselves on making reliably consistent fishing products for anglers of all ages all around the world. Fish Bites baits and lures are made with pride in the Sunshine State here in USA. Check out the full line of scented saltwater and freshwater baits at fishbites.com. Well, folks, that wraps up this week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. If you'd like for us to email you the podcast, just text FISHING to 314-665-1767. Again, just text the word FISHING to 314-665-1767. Subscribe to our email list and we'll send you the new show each week. This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks manufacture a variety of metal roofing systems to meet your needs. Whether you're putting a new roof on your home or sheeting a commercial building, they have you covered. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. Also by Mallard Bay. Book your next guided hunting or fishing trip with thoroughly vetted guides or charters. Plan trips, buy gear, go experience, mallardbay.com. And by Hilton's Real-Time Navigator, bringing you the highest quality online satellite fishing charts since 2004. Your source for sea temps, allometry, currents, and watercolor at hiltonsoffshore.com. Also by bucksisland.com. 
Bucks Island has been in business since 1948 for all of your new and used boat needs, as well as motor sales and service, and now they have a pro-level tackle store. Boat and motor trade-ins are welcome. Visit them online at bucksisland.com or give them a call at 256-442-2588.